And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this morning at 6.06 as we get this hump day edition underway. Tom Allen, our RIA uh, 401k specialist joining us this morning to talk a little bit about small businesses getting back to work because, again, more media headlines out this morning that, well, simply bosses are going back to work, but nobody else is apparently. So, you know, how do you get these employers back, these employees to come back to work? This is particularly interesting at a time where we now have a potential fiscal cliff coming up. Now, I say potential because it's going to happen. It's just a question of actually when it happens, because over the next really three months, as we get into June, July, August, and then ultimately September, more and more individuals will start to come off of the extended unemployment benefit rolls. Now, what's interesting is, is that if you take a look at the unemployment benefit claims, take New York City as an example, they had massive claims of unemployment benefits until they instituted fraud prevention and they immediately almost dropped to zero. You know, this is a problem whenever you're giving out free money with really no oversight is that people are going to surprise people are going to take advantage of the system. Right. <laughs> you know, um, if you take a look at how many, you know, how many of these unemployment claims and PPP program checks, et cetera, went to foreign individuals. You know, there was a tremendous amount of fraud, billions of dollars that were paid by taxpayers were lost in these programs because they were just thrown out haphazardly. They weren't well structured. And guess what? People with a criminal intent. I know there's not many people out there like that, but people that might be incented to do something illegal, they took advantage of the system. Right. You know, it's it's always the problem that we have. And this is something that has been rife in Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid and, and dis, uh, disability claims. They've been rife with fraud for years and years and years because the programs aren't well structured or well designed and not well overseen. Um, but we continue to fund them. We get further and further to debt. Here's a number for you. One hundred and seventy trillion dollars. That is the unfunded liability of Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and disability claims. That is what we are going to owe over the course of the next 10, 20, 30 years as more and more boomers move into retirement and start to make these claims, right? So this is problematic going forward. And again, then you throw on top of this, you know, these programs that are haphazardly designed, people take advantage of them as you would expect they would. But now these programs are going to end. So the question is, is how do we now get these employees to come back to work, right? Um, there's a lot of employees that are actually quitting right now. They're quitting their jobs because they don't want to go back to the office. They like working from home. Now, Working from home is all fine and games for about two or three years because I, I can tell you this from experience. I did it. I worked from my house for about five years. I had a, a company I worked with internationally, so our time clocks were screwed up. I was working mostly all night uh, to be on their timetable. That's great until you realize that you spent about three weeks in your PJs and pizza boxes are now blocking your front door. So, you know, working from home is great to a point, but eventually people are gonna need to go back out of their cave and get to the real world. So again, trying to get people to make this change back 
uh, into a normal working environment is going to be interesting. And so uh, these are some of the things that are kind of plaguing the reopening as we kind of get the economy back on its feet. But again, lots of expectations for very, very strong economic growth this year. And that's something that we're certainly going to have. I'm writing an article right now talking about the roll off of this expected rate of growth. Because once we get into Q3 and Q4, just the natural progression of, of economic growth is going to return back towards normal trends. And this is particularly the case as we begin to lose more and more of the fiscal benefits being put into the economy from the government. And look, the government's not talking about any more stimulus checks right now. There's no more assistance coming you know, from the sidelines. They're hung up right now trying to pass a voting rights bill or, or an infrastructure bill, right? Their focus is elsewhere at this point, and now they're about to run into the whole problem of the filibuster and the issue of needing 60 votes to pass bills without any type of really you know, bipartisan agreement. So this is gonna be a real challenge for the administration going forward, which means less input, less stimulus coming into the system. Now, this is important also too, because the Fed can't do more without the Treasury issuing more debt. The Treasury has to issue debt in order for the Fed to monetize it. And the Treasury has lots of cash on their balance sheet right now because of all the previous stimulus programs we did, the CARES Act, the HEROES Act, um, that loaded up the Treasury with a lot of cash. Now they're working through that cash balance. They're drawing that down through normal spending, but there hasn't been a need to issue a lot more debt. This is gonna start causing a problem for the Fed and maybe one of the reasons why the Fed is now potentially talking about, hey, we might need to think about slowing our purchases down a bit simply because there's not enough collateral for them to buy. So some things that, to, that are worth thinking about as we kind of go forward here. Now, real quick, I want to go through kind of a market update. I got a good question yesterday. said, Lance, well, you were talking about your money flow uh, sell signal here, but the market's actually rallying back to almost all-time highs. Absolutely right. That is certainly the case, and that can certainly happen with these signals. Again, technical analysis isn't always 100% perfect. Doesn't mean it's wrong right? It's just not always 100% perfect on timing. And that's one of the issues. If we go back and look at history, um, last time we got a sell signal like this was kind of here back in, in April, and the market actually rallied on up to an all-time high, just like we're potentially seeing right now, before it had about a 5% correction. So, <laughs> you know, they can be late in the cycle as well. We saw that previously here too. Sometimes these signals are a little bit late triggering, but also sometimes they are working pretty much right on time. Back in, uh, we saw in March, signal pretty much worked right on time. Prior to that was back in February. And again, a little bit late getting there before the actual signal kicked into place. So here's the point about this, is that money flows continue to weaken here. The rally that we had yesterday was, it was okay. It wasn't great. The good news is we did get above the 20 day moving average. That was important. That does potentially give the markets the ability to get back to all time highs here in the short term. But it doesn't mean there's not risk in the markets here over the next couple of weeks, particularly as we work through the sell signal. We've got a MACD sell signal and a money flow sell signal all in the same place at the same time. 
typically that suggests you're going to have some more corrective action. So we had a sell-off last week. We're getting a bit of a reflexive rally here. Again, the way to use this reflexive rally, as I'd be using this to lighten up on positions that haven't been performing well, reduce your risk overall until we get through this buy signal, uh, the sell signal. So once we get through the sell signal and get back onto a buy signal, then you can increase your risk, increase your exposure. But for right now, it suggests anyway that you should be a little bit cautious here, at least over the course of the next couple of weeks. These sell signals don't last a long time. They typically last two to three to four weeks at the most. And then you're gonna be back on your next opportunistic area to put some money to work. So again, just because markets rallied here over the last couple of days after a fairly sharp decline last week, we're getting some bullish comments from the Federal Reserve saying, hey, don't worry about it. You know, we're, we're not doing anything right now. So markets are responding to that, not surprisingly. But just be careful getting sucked back into this rally so soon. Again, there's just some warnings here. And then that's all technical analysis is. All technical analysis tells you is, is hey, you want to be a little bit cautious. This doesn't mean go be all in cash. We talked about just raising some cash levels over the last week or so, help protect against that sell-off that we had last week. But again, that's just how to keep a watch on this. Just because the signal doesn't seem to be working at the moment, doesn't mean it's broken. And we're going to talk, keep you updated on this as we go along. Get by the website for our newsletter. We'll cover this more this weekend. Realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back with more of The Real Investment Show. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestment.com investmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care july 8th at noon realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to the real investment show Welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. I got Tom Allen. He's our 401k benefits specialist uh, for RA Advisors. I got him into, drug him into the studio this morning here on a Wednesday for two reasons. One, uh, Danny Ratliff, who, who usually joins me, um, decided that he wanted to try to be a 25-year-old and go play basketball and has now torn his patella tendon and is on crutches for the next, you know, 12 years. <laughs> so... Uh, our, our sympathy goes out to them. You know, as, as older guys, right, I, I still think I'm – see, see when I go to the gym, you know, I see these young kids in there. Mm -hmm. And, see, I still think I'm like 20 in the yeah. gym, right? So, yeah. you know, I've hurt myself more than once lifting way too much weight. <laughs> so. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> we work hard at keeping the flesh strong. That's the important yeah. thing. So, but, yeah. So, you know, every now and then we get this inkling that we can, uh, you know, compete with the younger crowd. Yeah. yeah mm -hmm. And it's not that we can't, right? It's just that the tendons aren't quite as flexible as they used to be. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, and that's so, why old folks have cunning. <laughs> exactly. You know, that, that, that used to be a thing when I was, I was younger in my day. Um, you know, I used to be, I used to compete in martial arts and, and we actually traveled all over the world. Just, this is, this is before UFC was, a th- I was doing UFC before UFC was cool. Right. <laughs> and here's the important thing, right? I was doing UFC on an international basis when it didn't pay anything, right? So <laughs> that was then, this is now. That was your mistake. But, see, but this is my whole legacy for my family, right? My yeah. dad was a professional tennis player, mm-hmm. right? He played Pancho Gonzalez and those guys back in the 50s, competed on a national basis. Tennis didn't pay anything back in the 50s, right? He had to thumb his way to, to tournaments and, and buses and stuff, and he would sit outside, sleep outside the stadium under a tree and, you know, eat sack lunches to go compete. I mean... And now, you know, then he got later on in life and all of a sudden tennis is, you know, <laughs> paying millions of dollars. And we're always we're always early. Right. That's that's the whole that's the whole thing of my family. We're always early to everything anyway. But uh, I used to fight these older guys and, you know, I'm young. I'm bouncing around doing all this. These older guys would stand in one place and just beat the crap out of you because they <laughs> they had skill. Right. Skill. And this is the important thing about being older. Skill. This is the thing. I got to teach Danny this. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so Tom's joining me this morning. The reason I brought Tom in is because there was a couple of, of articles out over the last few days. And I think it really, it, it, you know, is kind of showing the problem twofold that we're having with this whole idea of reopening. Right. Um, so the first thing is, is that we've, we've given people a lot of money to not work. Right. So they've stayed at home and have not taken jobs. And, and you'll see you'll see headlines uh, in the media that says, oh, that's not the case. People want to go to work. I can tell you for a fact. Right. There are there are <laughs> there are people out there because I've been through the hiring process. I've talked to people. I have talked to other employers and other business owners who are trying to hire workers. They can't. Because, and I gave you the example from my wife's office. She literally works upstairs from us trying to hire an employee that said that they would come to work in September when their benefits ran out, right? So, so yes, if you give people enough money not to work, it's pretty obvious that they're not going to work if they can stay at home and, and you know, do whatever they're doing and still get paid for that. So, I mean, I would too, right? Um but this is the challenge that businesses are working, you know, towards and having to deal with now is that two things are happening. First, you are seeing wages creep up here a bit. So employers are having to pay out more in wages to try to attract talent. And this is the reason for this is not that they're trying to attract. And, and this is a, a bit of a misnomer you'll also see in, in the headlines is that wages are going up. And a lot of that's in the very low wage paying category, Right. I'm needing to pay people more to get them off of the unemployment roll to get them in to work at the lower wage paying scales, right? Restaurant workers and service workers and those type of things. On the upper end of the scale, where your professional workers are, those aren't so much wages going up because employers are hiring workers that are sitting on the sidelines. They're hiring workers from other businesses, right? And so Tom works at Jiffy Lube, 
<laughs> as an example, and not not the not the actual enterprise. He works at the Jiffy Lube corporate headquarters, right? So he is the he's one of the senior VPs of Jiffy Lube, as an example. I don't know why I picked that store, but it just came out that way. Uh, but he's one of the senior VPs, and I need in my business, I need a guy that can come in and he can take over that same position in my company, right? So I have two choices. I can hire some guy that's been out of work for a year. He's got a loss of a skill set, and he lost his job for a reason, right? Um, People that survive the shutdown without losing their work probably have a skill set. This is the mentality of of employers, okay? Probably have a skill set that was worth hanging on to regardless of the state of the business at the time. So Tom held on to his job the entire the entire time the COVID shutdown was occurring because he had a very special skill set, a good work ethic. He was an invaluable employee, right? And he's paid well for his job. Now, I have a choice as an employer. I want to either hire Tom or I can hire Brent, who's been sitting on the couch playing uh, Madden football now. For <laughs> He doesn't even know what an Xbox is. But he's been playing Madden football now for you know the last you know, 15 months, what's my choice? Well, I'm going to go hire Tom, right? Because Tom obviously is a valuable employee. So wages at the upper end of the scale are going up because I'm having to pay Tom more to get him to leave his current company and come work for me. That's part of the quit rate that's happening. So this is one of the challenges now that employers are moving into. And so the question is, is, you know, what are the things that employers are also having to do to try to incent workers right, to come and, and work. And Tom is, is focuses on our benefit side of our, of our small businesses and, and business owners, because this is one of the challenges that business owners face right now is how to do that. And uh, Tom's got an article out on our website this morning as well, talking about, you know, the, the benefits of, you know, providing 401k plans, those type of benefits, because that's, that's what employees are looking for. It's not just the salary. It's also, and this is also why we can't, this is why we offshore a lot of labor, because Tom won't come work for me just for a salary. I can pay him, but he's not going to come to work for me just for a salary. He wants to come work for me because I'm also provide vacation benefits, a 401k plan, a healthcare plan, and all these other things, right? This is also why we outsource a lot of labor, because in China, you get $2 a week and that's it. Right, or whatever the number is, all these other benefits, which have a cost that have to be embedded into the products or services manufactured, cause that cost to be exorbitantly high in the U.S. versus outsourcing it to other, other areas. So, um, but but that is this this is some of the things that you're also talking to business owners now uh, a bit about, right, Tom? That's right. Yeah, kind of understanding what their specific industry and demographics are in their business and how they can rethink about compensation. And more importantly, to your point, Lance, be able to budget for it because it's not cheap. So how do we have that conversation? <laughs> yeah. So. Well, I guess it's one of the, the bigger challenges, though, right? I mean, when you know, when you sit down and talk with a, a, a you know person that's in business, and a lot, some of these business owners haven't even started to think about a four hundred one k plan or, or or doing those type, adding those type of benefits to their package because they simply think they can't afford them. But that's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily true. So um, we can get into a case study I recently did for uh, for one of Danny's clients. But what ends up happening is, is depending on how we structure it. 
the tax deduction that you get as a business o- owner more than offsets the actual cost of the plan and giving it to your employees. So we can get into the hard numbers, but more often than not, it's not as expensive as you think it would be. But and, and then you know also to I guess you know kind of expound on that a little bit more because you know again when you know employers are trying to look to hire employees at this point what what are the challenges that you're seeing a lot of them run into i think the challenge they're running into is how do i budget what do i give them in cash and what do i give them in other things that are going to increase their productivity so to give you an example let's just say that they're looking to budget thirty thousand dollars a year for a salary you can think about that $30,000 in terms of just cash, or what if we did $28,000 and 2,000 of it goes towards retirement or healthcare. And so kind of putting those puzzle pieces together helps give them clarity about what they actually want to offer their employees, depending on what their industry is. Right, yeah, and that's, that's an, actually an interesting point you brought up. I saw a study out uh, last week, and this is, this is one of the misnomers that really go around you know, the whole environment is that, well, employees, employers are being so stingy, right? Um, you know, they're not paying their employees enough. Now l- let me give you a couple of ex- a couple of quick caveats here, right? Um, if you make thirty three thousand dollars a year in the United States, you're in the top one percent of income earners worldwide. Now it's hard to think about, right? Um, you know, here in the U.S., if you're making thirty thousand dollars a year, you feel like you're barely scraping by. But the reality is, is that you are in the top one percent of income earners worldwide. It's just that our standard of living is is exceptionally higher than everywhere else in the world. We all demand that we can drive a Tesla and live in a three bedroom house with a pool in the backyard. Uh, that's the the minimum standard of living for poverty level, right? In the U.S., I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you get my point. Um, you know, that's that's one of the first challenges. The, the second challenge is, is that, well, employers don't pay enough, right? They need to just pay more in salary. Well, if you pay somebody $50,000 a year as an employer, it's not just $50,000 a year. It's actually closer to $75,000 a year. By the time that you provide health care benefits, um, you know, if you're paying some pro rata portion, 50%, 80%, whatever the number is for their health care, um, you know, provide their, you know, provide the 401k plan matching opportunity, then also the computer, the office space, you know, everything else that that employee uses on an annual basis to work at the company, it's not just $50,000 a year. It's about 20, you know, about 50% more on top of that, just with all the other stuff that gets included, paid time off, you know, all these type of things, that's a cost. And the question then becomes, can that cost be passed on to consumers, right? On the other end, this is one of the big challenges that small businesses are facing right now is that labor costs are spiking. And it's not just the actual cost of labor, it's all the other stuff that goes into it. But that is typically a sign that leads to other problems economically down the road because that cost can't get passed on. We'll come back. We'll get into that case study a little bit with Tom Allen right after the break. Don't go away. Listening to the Real Investment Show. You could be one of the seven in ten people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than seventy-six hundred dollars a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. July. 
July 8th at noon. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. morning uh we're getting some good comments on youtube about our topic right now we're going to get to those a little bit uh james had a good question about contractors and uh another comment about employers wanting to look over your shoulder and um, people like working at home so that doesn't happen we'll, we'll talk about it. those are good comments uh and they 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 really do need a little bit of discussion uh so we'll get to those in, in just a moment here um but real quick here before we get to that point i just want to kind of finish up with tom on this uh this one point, which is that when we start, you know, let me back up. Um, when employers uh, start to look at providing more stuff, right, benefits, compensation, et cetera, to employees, it's a it's a benefit cost trade off. This is simple math for a business owner. And this is the one thing I think a lot of people miss, especially in the media. A lot of these stories that come out in the media, uh, you know, these are written by journalists who have never were, have never ran a business. And, you know, when you actually run a business and have built businesses and just, you know, my background is I've built multiple businesses. I've funded multiple businesses to get started. I've had, I've had some failures along the way. I've had lots of great successes and, you know, there's a, there there are some dynamics that occur repeatedly in that process, regardless of what end of the facet you're on, either building it yourself or helping other people build a business. There are certain requirements that have to be met in order for that business to be successful. You know, so a lot of the stuff you read in the media is just simply wrong. It's not the way that business actually works. And yeah, are there problems with major corporations right now, right? And, and I've got an article coming out on Friday. It's first in a two-part series on corporatism over capitalism. Do we have a capitalism problem? Absolutely not. Do we have a corporatism problem? Absolutely. And like I said, we're going to get into that a lot more here over the next week or so. But, you know, when a business owner is looking to grow their business, they need good need good quality employees. How do I get good quality employees? Well, I've got to lure them into my spider web. How do I lure them in? I've got to provide them the right bait. So, you know, um, but that but there's a cost to that bait, right? I've I've got to I've got to not only just provide the, you know the 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 monetary benefit, right? But it's also the additional benefits we talked about. It's also the work environment. It's also the culture. It's it's so many things, right? Um, people want to be involved with other people that are successful. I mean, you wouldn't want to go work at a business where everybody's you know kind of sitting around doing nothing, right? You you, you kind of see that end path very quickly with that business. Like, well, this business isn't going to survive very long. You don't want to be there. You want to be with a group of very vibrant people that are working. Um, but for the business owner, the guy that's paying all the bills, these things all have a cost. And he's evaluating, A, can I afford to pay this now? What does that do to my bottom line? And is it worth the sacrifice to me? And this is one of the, this is where businesses make a mistake. They tend, and, and you know, if you take a look at statistics, 80% of all businesses go out of business within the first two to three years. I mean, it's just a very high failure rate. What are the, some of the reasons why businesses fail? First is they go in undercapitalized. That's, that's the first part. 
The second, the, the second most common reason is, is that people go into this idea of owning their own business and they go into it expecting to get paid $150,000 a year and they start extracting all the capital out of their business and they simply run out of money. And the business hasn't had time to mature. Uh, the third reason is, is that they don't hire correctly. I mean, your employees will make or break your business every single time. And particularly, this is particularly the case for uh, a sales organization. Uh, and let me back up here real quick. Every business is a sales organization. It doesn't matter what it is, what it does, where it goes. I'm a nonprofit foundation that sends, you know, those monthly contributions to small children in Africa, right, that you can adopt. It's a sales business because I've got to run the commercials on television every day to get you to donate, right? I'm selling to you every day to make sure that that money gets to So it doesn't matter whether it's a nonprofit corporation, a manufacturing company, a service provider, an Uber driver. It's all sales at the end of the day. If you don't have good salespeople, you don't have good employees, you don't have a business. And this is particularly more problematic today with things like Yelp and everything else where you know, people can rate your business very quickly. And you online is like, well, I'm not using that business. They, have, they don't, you know, they've got a one-star rating. I'm not even going to give them a shot, right? You know, that's the environment we're in today. So this is critically important. So what the, what the business owner has to decide, and this is, I'm going to throw this, I'm going to quit rambling and throw this over to Tom here real quick. But there are things that business owners can do that is a cost up front, but have big benefits down the road by creating employee loyalty and employee productivity. Tom? There are a lot of great threads um, on what you just said. So number one, one of, the, one of the things that has stuck with me over my years of doing this is some of the best business owners that I've worked with, they told me that as quickly as I can replace myself in certain roles, that increases the productivity of my entire business. Everyone's got 24 hours in a day, and I'm sure small businesses have a hundred different things that they need to accomplish. So you need to be able to hire people that are gonna be able to take those roles off of your plate. And to Lance's point, loyalty, the cost of turnover, employee turnover is real. Um, depending on how long these employees have been with your firm, they're able to tell your story, carry your culture, and push the, the message and vision forward of your business, which ultimately, to your point, Lance, increases the bottom line for most business owners. So um, a lot of great threads that we can pull out of what you just said. Right. Well, and, and again, I kind of expound on that just a little bit because, you know, again, we, we kind of touched on previously, providing a 401k plan is a cost. But, you know, it's interesting when you look at statistics, 50% of businesses don't offer, even offer a 401k plan. Uh, out of the 50% that do offer a 401k plan, only 50% of the people that work for those companies actually participate. So if you take a look at all the employees uh, in the country, only 25% actually contribute to a 401k plan, which is pretty astounding, right? I mean, here's an ability to get you know, free money. And this is one of the mistakes I think that that people make with 401k plans. They take way too much risk in their 401k plan. They, you know, they're trying to, to get wealthy in their 401k plan. You're getting three to six percent matches from the, the from the company, right? The company's giving you free money. If you just put money into cash into a money market fund in your 401k plan, take no risk. You're going to still grow that account because the company's giving you free money. You know, when you take a lot of risk in your 401k plan and you lose 30 or 40 percent of it during a market downturn, not only did you destroy the contributions that you put into the account of your money, you also destroyed 40 percent of the contributions the company gave you. So 
take your risk in an investable taxable account where you can write off your losses, but in that 401k plan, be uber conservative because again, you're getting free money in a lot of cases, not all cases, but in a lot of cases, the company's matching and, and they do that for safe harbor reasons, right? That's correct. Yeah. So a lot of times it's just more write-offs, great way to incentivize employees to start saving for their own future. Um, and ultimately that's going to obviously lead to more loyalty and, and higher productivity uh, on the part of the business owner. Did you, uh, go ahead. I was, I was just going to say, but profit sharing is also something that companies need to look into more, right? Yeah. Profit sharing is, is a very interesting case where basically the employer has the option of putting money into the plan that's not a match and it's not an employee deferral. It's just basically extra money that they can put in if they have a really good year. And I think when we were last time on the show, Lance, you had mentioned a statistic that most small businesses have 10 or fewer employees. Right. When we get into that realm of small businesses, plan design from a profit sharing standpoint is incredibly, incredibly important. Business owners can get into upwards of $58,000 um, per owner um, of tax deferred compensation in terms of it can grow tax deferred. It's a tax write off and the, the amount that's made that year. And ultimately they're gonna have to give something to their employees in order to do that. But when you look at the cost benefit, the kind of the theme of the radio show today, um, the benefits quite large compared to the actual cost of funding those monies for the employees. Right. Well, and again, this kind of goes back to this whole idea of, you know, that corporations aren't sharing the wealth and, and, and look, there's certainly cases for this. I mean, if, if you take a look at, and this is where we're going to get into corporatism versus capitalism. Um, that doesn't exist in the 80% of businesses that have 10 or fewer employees that are make up about 60% of the employment of the country, right? I mean, you know, the executive, the, the business owner of a small company of, say, 50 or 100 employees, they're not making 50 times what the worker's making. That only exists in these publicly traded corporations where you've got stock options and all this other stuff that's going on, you know, stock buyback plans and all this, you know, the Facebooks, the Googles, the Amazons. That's where you've got the CEO of these companies making billions of dollars in profit versus, you know, what the average worker, you know, uh, Amazon is an example. You know, the, the guy, you know, on the line, you know, boxing all your shipments, you know, they make $18, $20 an hour, right? Amazon chairman head bezos making billions uh article out today amazon makes eight hundred thousand dollars a minute in revenue okay eight hundred thousand dollars a minute in revenue now my wife makes up half of that but the other half you know that is something else right so it's you know that's that's where this corporatism idea comes in and looking there's definitely a problem there not arguing that at all but when we're talking about the rest of the country those those companies make up about 5000 companies out of 6 million businesses in the in the country this idea of corporate this corporatism it doesn't really exist in the vast majority of businesses and the pay differences aren't that you know aren't that extreme and, and business structures, right? And it's just, it's just, that's just a function of how businesses work in a capitalistic society. But when we come back, look, we got some great questions here and I, I wanna kind of go through some of these because there's some good comments and some good questions about, you know, what we're talking about. We'll cover that when we come back from the break. Don't go away. Hey! Macarena, alright. 
alegría macarena Eso fue la alegría cuando pena You're listening to The Real Investment Show. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at Real investmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care july 8th at noon realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to the real investment show and welcome back to the show this morning i'm real estate roberts tom allen joining me we're getting some uh, of your questions and comments here about uh, small businesses and kind of how they they operate but real quick tom wanted to kind of unpack a couple of things uh, on a uh, on a real life example yeah, so we recently came across an example of a, a small business here in Texas. They own a real estate group. It's just husband and wife with one employee. So that typical small business that Lance likes to talk about, less than less than 10 employees. The big problem that they were trying to solve was, look, we are making a bunch of money. We're having a great year. Um, our CPA mentioned that we need to uh, increase our tax deductions. But how do we do that in a way that doesn't break the bank in terms of what we have to give to our employees. And so what I was able to walk them through was, look, depending on what your savings goal is, we can design this in a way where it minimizes the bottom line or the cost of to the to the employer. And just to give you a little real life example, so small business, you know, three individuals that are running this real estate group, um, we were able to save them upwards of about $40,000 a year in taxes, um, net cost, um, which is, that's a that's an additional salary. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? That's an additional person that they can now hire just based on the fact of how we designed the plan. So when we talk about cost benefit, I think there's a really, there's a big, uh, misconception about the actual cost versus what we're actually able to create and what you can afford as a small business. So I think it's a it's a reality that most businesses can start thinking about to incentivize their employees. This is a real life example here in Texas. Right, so. and and again with uh, the government trying to raise taxes and you know trying to increase the tax load on small businesses, you know opportunities to defer more taxes and to avoid taxes certainly a good time to start looking at things and you increase the productivity of employees 100 let's get to some of the the comments we're getting on our youtube channel this morning of course you can always follow us uh at our website realinvestmentadvice.com click on our youtube link and you can always stream the show live we've got uh you know a variety of methods to either watch the show or podcast as well apple itunes uh, soundcloud etc so however you want to get there get there but if you're on our youtube channel um of course, there's a chat window there, and you're more than welcome to put in comments, and, and we're happy to answer those questions. Uh, the first one came from James this morning. He says, I'm not sure that's true. We were talking about uh, specifically about companies you know, uh, and, and workers working remotely versus working at the office. And he says, I'm sure that's not true. A lot of people are realizing they can work from home and that the old methods were just an excuse to look over their shoulder. That's not really true. It may seem that way from the employee standpoint a lot of times. It's like, man, my boss is always over my shoulder. It's not really true. Um, you know, the, you lose something very valuable when you have a very distributed workforce and you have a bunch of people working from home. Look, and, and right now, so our business is very people intensive, uh, as an example. I mean, we work with lots of families, lots of households, lots of businesses. So a lot of communication every day. And 
and we can handle that and we do that efficiently and effectively even working everybody's working remotely still we're slowly kind of getting back into the office a little bit but still a lot of people are working you know most of our employees are still working at home right now working remotely and doing a great job they're very productive they're very effective and doing what they want but we lose something by having people in the office and we lose that not only just the camaraderie of of you know seeing your coworkers and you know sitting down to have a lunch or you know you know uh, you know just visit for a few minutes you lose that but you also lose the idea sharing, right? Um, you know, there's there's something organic about running a business when you have your your core group of people in an office. You have this organic growth of ideas and 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 really kind of just energy for the business. And especially when you know we're, we close a big deal, we close a big client, whatever it is you know, there's kind of nobody to share it with, right? So you kind of lose that whole that whole excitement of the business and, and that motivation. And, and we talked about one of the, as Tom was talking about earlier, you know, one of the things that makes a business successful is having this group of people that are all driving towards the same goal. And when everybody's distributed, you know, you lose that that drive, you lose that in incentive. And so now it becomes it really becomes more of just a job. You're just having to kind of grind through the process because you're there all alone. And, you know, this is and so it's not about just looking over the shoulder of an employee. Look, and that's important, right? I mean, you've got to make sure your employees are being productive, meeting goals and doing those type of things. And some employees need that, right? Some, you know, there are some employees like me, they're very self-motivated, right? You don't need to tell me to do anything. I work 18-hour days, 16-hour days, doesn't matter. Seven days a week, I produce, right? It's just that I love what I do. Tom, I got to I, I gotta motivate him every morning, drag him out of bed. I'm just teasing. But there are some employees that simply need that very strict guidance. They almost, they almost need to check. They're good employees. It doesn't mean they're not good employees. But there's some there's some people that just al almost need a checklist that they can just go through every day, and that's just that's where a lot of this view is as well. The the employers just looking over their shoulder. Some employees actually need that to be productive and to be effective. They need that. They need that very structured guideline, right? Some people are type A, some people are type B. That's just the way people are. So it's a good point, but you know, uh, again, you know, there's there's something organic you lose. Um, with a very distributed workforce. Doesn't mean it's not effective, doesn't mean it's not productive. Um, just you, there are some things and, and benefits you lose. Tom, any comments about that? The only thing I'd like to add is that I think you nailed it on the head with, I think people work differently. I, for myself, I like being in a group atmosphere and a think tank where we can share ideas and come up with a solution where we're in the same room together. I think there's, think there's a lot of value in that. To your point, some people are very self-directed and can be like, hey, just give me my list of things to do. Doesn't matter if I'm, you know, in Japan or if I'm here in Houston, I'm going to get it done. <laughs> right. That's it. So I think I think you nailed it right on the head. Uh, another one. Why don't more businesses contract with self-employed uh, individuals and, and avoid all the benefits and employee entanglements? It, look, a lot of companies are moving towards that. Um, exactly that same reason. You know, I, I just uh, I hire Tom to do a job. 
I pay him a 1099. I just pay him directly. I don't have to worry about it. benefits. I don't have to worry about payroll taxes. I just pay him what he charges me. It's done. Um, our business, we've got quite a few contractors that we hire to do very specific jobs that we don't need to hire full time in our office. SEO work is an example for our website, um, social media oversight, that type of stuff. We contract some of that stuff out. And look, there are more and more people that are now creating very healthy <laughs> annualized incomes being contractors and working for multiple companies being a contractor. And, and, and also too, this is uh, an important facet. Under IRS rules, if you derive all your income from one company, you cannot be a, con a quote unquote 1099 contractor, right? You have to have multiple sources of income from different people to technically remain a contractor under IRS rules. So, you know, one of the things is if I'm starting to absorb, you know, if, if Tom's working for me as a 1099 contractor and he's only working for me, eventually I'm going to have to hire him because that that 1099 rule is not going to stand up under IRS scrutiny. But there are a lot of people right now that are creating very healthy incomes, being contractors and doing stuff for a lot of different companies. And, and we're moving more. And, and as our society moves more and more towards a service business, less to manufacturing, more to these services, especially with the access to the Internet and these apps and stuff that, that we can all do online and remotely you're going to see a, a lot more of the rise of contractor work over the course of the next few years. It's a great point, and I think you're going to see a lot more of that as, as we go down the road. Um, the higher fire mentality has increased uh, in, let's see, let me see if I can get this, um, loyalty. Uh, the higher and fire mentality has increased, and people need confidence into the future. That is true. Uh, that is also partly the employee's fault. Um, it is also is really partly the company's fault. Is also partly the employee's fault. Let me explain that. You know, when my dad was working for Dow Chemical, um, you know, they had a benefit pension plan that the company provided, and it really was the employer-employee family relationship. You know, people worked for went to work for a company and they planned to work there for 30 years until they retired and they retired with their pension plan that was in place and as we moved away from providing that that family i, I want to say that it's not really a family atmosphere but it's the best way i guess to describe it it was this this cultural nuclear relationship as we moved away from that we got rid of pension plans we started 401k plans hold lots of problems with those but we started shoving more and more of the the impact onto the employee uh, shifting it away from corporate responsibility. So you broke that nuclear relationship between the employer and the employee, and it really became a grab, kind of a land grab for the employee. Well, I can just hop from job to job to job to job and you know keep getting paid more money if I just keep jumping from job to job. And so the employee lost loyalty to the company. The company lost, uh, lost um, uh, the relationship with the employee. And so this has really been a problem over the last really 30, 40 years, um, really since we started migrating from that 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 nuclear relationship to this this broken relationship between the employer and the employee, and now everybody's just out for themselves. So you know, and that's really what this has come down to. No, you know, employee doesn't go to work for a company say I'm going to work there for the next thirty years. I'm going to work there until I find a better job. That's the attitude going into it, and and that's the problem down the road. Uh, comments? Yeah, and no, the only thing I'd like to add is that yeah, no one's getting the golden watch anymore after you know thirty years at the at the same company. But you brought up a great point um, going back to the question of the contractors, and this kind of ties into the to the last question was 
how employers offer compensation, whether that's through contract work or through employment, that says a lot about how you see the relationship with your employees. If I'm willing to pay half your payroll taxes, provide you benefits, um, give you vacation, do all those things, it's the employer is showing that they're investing in you as a person and want to see you be happy and healthy and productive, right? Yeah. Now, certain contract work, yeah, maybe based on the relationship or the type of work that you do, that's all that's necessary. But I think a lot of employers want to offer those things to talented people who they see, hey, you can grow in our business and you can help us push the bottom line Absolutely. over time. Yep. Yep. And look, I mean, you know, the whole point is, is that ultimately at the end of the day, we, you know, as business owners, um, we all want everybody to be happy. We want happy employees because a happy employees produce more. And if they produce more, we're willing to pay them more. And this is all that symbiotic relationship between the employee and the employer. The problem that a lot of employers run into is the inability to realize that by incentivizing and creating the right atmosphere for their employees, they, they make more money down the road. You know, it's that deferred benefit that employers have to really come to realize. Hey, wraps up show, show for today. Tom, thank you so much. Yep, thank you for having me. We'll be back tomorrow, of course, as we get ready to wrap up this week. Uh, talk more about the Fed, the markets, and what's going on with your money. Uh, get by the website. New articles out today on the website. I've got the our first article on corporatism versus capitalism coming out on Friday as well. And our newsletter, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll see you tomorrow. It's a rich man's world.